Helicopter parenting is a loaded label that some parents either wear with pride or are quick to deny. When we hover out of concern, what does that do to our children? While we may feel crowded in our homes during this lockdown, it is a good time to ask yourself if you give your kids the space they need for positive development. So hi, everybody. We're here again for another episode of A Mom's Retreat. Hi, Robin. Hi, Lynn. How are you? Good. I'm so excited to talk about this today. This is a big topic, helicopter parenting. And I think that it is, it, it, it's particularly relevant, perhaps, to our current status of being in lockdown, because it's sort of like you're a helicopter parent and your living room is the helipad. I mean, it is hard to get away from knowing everything that your kids are doing right now. It's just, it's just perhaps making it harder to step back because of these unique circumstances. Yeah, and, and maybe even some families are experiencing the opposite where they may have wanted to hover more, but without childcare and working full time, they find that they, they don't have the ability to, to manage and make things mm-hmm. go as they typically like to as well. Yeah. And it is, it is it's sort of a, a lot to ask, isn't it? To sort of say to people, like, we need you to consciously parent right now because as we've talked about at the beginning all of, the, of this, there was so much permission for like, look, we all know that it's chaotic and just get through the day. And I think it's really important for us to not give too much permission and actually use this opportunity to remind ourselves as parents of the opportunities to observe ourselves and to see what might be coming up and what might be revealed about the way that we parent it's also an opportunity, I think, I really do think this, is to create some healthy space for exploration and learning. And that may be thinking about young kids in particular. How are we allowing them to play on their own? How are we allowing them to sort of figure out where reasonable risk is? Letting them be physical, because right now that's pretty tricky. A lot of the physical play that we have little kids do these days is either at recess at school or during PE class. A lot of them have scheduled activities and practices, and all of that is not happening right now. So their play is actually pretty unstructured. Unlike the majority of what kids are doing during their days, There's a lot of research and a lot of information about the minimization of free play and the benefits of free play. So here we have a chance to be non-helicoptery if we are actually letting our kids play without us being there to supervise and direct and coach. It is, but the challenge that we've had in our family is that when we know we're supposed to allow our kids that freedom of play, but the play might involve physical risks that wouldn't be a big deal if you fell from your scooter before, or you were learning to ride a bike and you had another accident or something. Mm -hmm. We've had a lot of freakish accidents in our family over the last few weeks during this pandemic lockdown, my my son slammed his teeth against the concrete from a fall. And we're so grateful that we didn't need um, a dentist. Mm-hmm. And my husband fell like we have a family <laughs> member who had a bike accident that like all of us are hurting and we can't just access the ER in the same way. And so so 
we've had this discussion after we've had two injuries on our family outings. It's like, you know what? We're not taking any unnecessary risk. And I know that's going against everything you're trying to say, but like, how do you balance that right now? And how do you, and how do you have a, how do you have a conversation with your kids and your family about we're going to play this way, but we're not going to play this way without it being a fear-based conversation, but more of a practical one? Right. Well, I think you can make it practical. I think just the language that you're using is, is very practical to say, and, and let's not mistake, maybe maybe we can redefine free play as not necessarily learning how to ride a bike at this particular juncture or taking your scooter down the big hill or putting the mattress at the bottom of the stairs and seeing what it's like to slide down the stairs in a cardboard box, which my children did do at one point. So I think I think let's let's redefine free play as reasonable play that doesn't allow or doesn't doesn't open the door for those risks it's it's really hard we we walk a fine line cuz if you if you go on the if you go on the plan of we're going to eliminate the risk of injury that's that's going to be problematic but let let me give you an example perhaps of of free play that isn't risky and what it looks like when you're being helicoptery. So a woman that I know sent me this email and she gave me permission to use this story because it was so apt. She says in her neighborhood, she lives in a neighborhood at the end of a cul-de-sac. There's a lot of kids in the neighborhood. And of course, they've all been struggling with social distancing and not wanting to play. So they came up with a plan that they were all going to build a fort in the cul-de-sac, appropriately distanced apart from each other. There's enough space. And so they all started bringing things out of their houses. I guess the way she described it, there were sticks and stumps and probably blankets and lawn chairs. And they were all each making, each little sibling group was making their own little fort. And she said she's watching this and she's thinking how wonderful it is. This is completely unstructured free play, not risky, but but unstructured free play. And she says, and then she sees a mom come out and the mom starts instructing and the mom starts telling kids how to make it better or what to do differently. I think that's where we can really, particularly with younger kids, we can really let them have some of that free play that we can really let them build and explore. And I I totally hear what you're saying because I I, I did hear actually, maybe it was somebody you guys know, right? Yeah, 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 it was. He works in an ER in New York in a children's hospital and they were just sitting around because none of the kids were coming in with stitches and broken bones because the play had been so limited. So let's, let's absolutely respect that we don't want kids to do things that are going to physically injure themselves although we can't guarantee that. Right. There's no ultimate control there too. And that's where it gets tricky using language. It makes me very self-conscious of how (laughs) how I'm trying to articulate that in a way that isn't pretending I have a sense of control. Well, and I think I think that we really can say to kids, you can say, under normal circumstances, I would really love you to climb that tree. Or under normal circumstances, I think this would be awesome if you learned to ride your bike. And we will accept the risk that, that learning how to ride a bike may involve falling off the bike. These are not normal circumstances. So let's just think about physical injury a little bit more than we normally would. And let's figure out how we can be creative and this and that. Maybe you just you just put it right out there. We have another factor to consider. 
that we don't usually have and see if you can use that language. Again, you don't want to, it's, it's staying away from that catastrophic language, that, that fear-based language. And within your house, with play with kids, and again, I'm talking about, you know, younger kids, we'll get to the older kids in a minute, but how do we give them more independence? It's an opportunity for independence. There was a great question from one of um, the people from the Facebook page. Um, I'll just paraphrase it. Um, wondering how she could provide her six-year-old with more independence now. He enjoys using FaceTime to talk to friends and cousins. He takes the phone, her phone, up into his room, and he chats, and he shows his friends his various collections, which I just can imagine that just being so cute. Like, here's my Legos, here's my fish. Everyone say hello to my fish. But how much privacy should be allowed? She hears the conversations. He might be using some potty language, she said, or just getting wild, behaving in a way that if they were together for a play date, she would redirect. I think this is an opportunity. Maybe mom just think about letting it go a little farther than even your worry or your anxiety might let it go. Boys and girls, but I have boys and you're talking about your little son, they use potty talk. They use naughty language. They say things. They experiment with that language. If you hear him using a lot of that language, I would let it go when he's with his friends, but I would have a talk with him afterwards about knowing the difference between when and where he can use that language and when and where he can't. This is the conversation that I had with my boys about swearing. Which grandmother can you swear in front of? Which grandmother can you not swear in front of? Very clear delineation. But being able to talk to him, a little post-game analysis, what helicopter parenting does is it gets in the way of kids making those errors in judgment and being able to fix them and seeing where things go. So step back, let him, let it get a little messy, and then step in and maybe help him ask those how questions. That's what I would do. You know, sometimes people wait until something bad happens to talk to a therapist, but why wait? Therapy can help you shift your perspective, find tools to cope in difficult times, and feel grounded in your personal relationships. So getting started is the important part. Talkspace makes it easy and affordable. With Talkspace, you can sign up online and get a personalized match with a provider that's right for you, typically within 48 hours. It's incredibly convenient to have virtual sessions with your licensed therapist from the comfort of your home, your car, your office. There's no need to commute to appointments and miss time at work or line up childcare in order to attend sessions. It's mental health care made easy. That's right. And it's secure and private. They use the latest end-to-end bank-grade encryption technology to store client information, complying with the latest HIPAA regulations. Remember, Talkspace is affordable and it's in-network with most major insurers. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $80 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster. To match with your licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster to get $80 off your first month. That's Talkspace.com slash Fluster. I really have to pay attention to hydrating properly. I work out a lot. I talk all the time, as you know. I am pretty active and I don't drink enough water. So I'm constantly thinking about how it is that I am going to hydrate in the best way possible. And I'll tell you, if my 
water has a little bit of flavor, it's so much easier for me. And if I can get those electrolytes, if I can get more bang for my buck, it's just so much better. I have been using liquid IV. I put it into a huge glass. I put it into the refrigerator. It's cold. It's very tasty. I've been putting it in my water bottle when I go to the gym. The packaging is so convenient. I actually look forward to drinking it, which is not something that comes naturally to me. I love the lemon-lime flavor. They've got a sugar-free apple. Option that is really great. So I think that if you're somebody like me that has a difficult time getting in the amount of hydration that you need for your body, Liquid IV is a great option. One stick, 16 ounces of water, it hydrates better than water alone. It's got three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, and it doesn't have all that sugar. It doesn't have artificial sweeteners. Eight vitamins and nutrients just for your everyday wellness. It's non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. However you hydrate, grab your Liquid IV Hydration Multiplier, sugar-free in bulk nationwide at Costco, or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use code FLUSTER at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code FLUSTER at liquidiv.com. So one of the other ways I think about helicopter parenting is about parents who might be hovering over their kids' academic performances. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting right now, I see people responding with a lot of stress, the at-home learning prospect of what their kids are adapting to. And I see other families being much more Mm laissez-faire about it. And sometimes the parents might be taking on a lot of unnecessary stress because this is a unique time. What would you say to parents who uh, maybe are those kind of parents who track academic performance? Mm -hmm. They might be having a, a difficulty adapting to this. So what would you say about that? Yeah, that's a very good point because as we were saying before, right, it's really possible to hover when you're all in the same house. And now it's even more possible to hover because you, you've been given a huge responsibility. A lot of parents have been given a huge academic responsibility. So they feel even more responsible and I think even more stressed out and fearful that their kids are falling behind. I just saw an article this morning talking about that and also that they're not doing enough. So then you've got the hovering because you feel guilty and you feel like the teachers are going to think you're not doing enough. And so all of that worry comes out because remember, a lot of a lot of the helicoptering is really based on worrying about your kids and worrying about whether or not they're going to be okay and they're going to do okay. So the the helicoptering stuff with academics from from my experience with with talking to parents certainly shows up more intensely once kids move into middle school and high school because now there are grades and they can look and usually there's they're not student portals that parents can check on with elementary school kids. So so with those older kids, we've got all these concerns about grades and testing, a lot of stuff right now about what a transcript is going to look like and things have gone to pass fail. And how do you know if you're pushing your kids enough because you can, you can sort of skate by with a passing grade when normally we want them to get a 92 or something like that. So it's bringing up a lot of this stuff for parents. Here's what I would say. Once again, you have an opportunity here because we know that the stakes 
in terms of grades and testing and all of that kind of stuff, the standards have been lowered, understandably. No kid is going to apply to college and the college admissions officer is going to look at your child's application and say, oh my God, what the was this kid doing during the spring of 2020? Right? It's just not going to happen. This is episode six, and I think that's my first F bomb. <laughs> it won't be the last. <laughs> <laughs> well, Robin knows me. The fact that I haven't said one yet is actually like a really, I mean, I think that's a testament to my self control. So I'm going to give myself full credit that I just dropped an F bomb in episode six. Okay, moving on. So, so nobody's going to say that. So, what I think you want to recognize is here during this time, you have the ability to pay attention to where you might let your child develop some independence, right? How can you step back? Helicoptering often occurs because parents are so scared to let the chips fall where they may. And I say this all the time. We are in such a competitive culture that letting the chips fall where they may feels like a huge sacrifice to make. Here we have a little bit of room. Everybody understands the motivation is not so great. The situation is unprecedented, as we keep saying. Teachers are feeling a little lost and unmotivated. Everybody's just trying to figure it out. So here's what I'd want you to do. I'd want you to think about what are the skills that you want your child, your teenager, to have to be more independent? And how has this experience allowed you perhaps to see some of the work that needs to be done? Because you in this role now as co-teacher, you may be seeing that your child has a really hard time scheduling and you've always been there to make sure that everything stays on track. Maybe your child should learn at this point how to get themselves up in the morning and get ready to be um, ready to go for their first Zoom meeting at nine o'clock. And you've been the human alarm clock. You've been the human snooze alarm even. Maybe this is the time where because you're not as rushed in the morning, you allow your child to make his or her own breakfast on their own so that they can learn how to pour their milk in their cereal or make some scrambled eggs and clean up after themselves. This is an opportunity with academics for you to step back a little bit. I would just talk to your child about that very openly and very directly, I would say, look, this is pass fail. This gives us a little wiggle room. Let's see what you can do. There is something called the zone of proximal development. And what that says is that you want to push your kid a little bit farther than you think that developmentally they're capable of going. This pandemic is like one big giant zone of proximal development. You can push your kid a little farther and let them build those skills of independence. I think actually this is a great time to do it because the stakes are not so high. One of the things I had seen on Facebook that was very inspiring was addressing all of this fear of kids getting behind in their academic work. Everyone's experiencing this. So it's collectively Mm -hmm. happening to an entire Mm -hmm. population. Uh, So everyone's sort of staying in the same place. But two, it's this great opportunity while we're at home to introduce all of these practical and useful life skills. And I know we both are no strangers to Montessori education. So Mm -hmm. of course, like when they're little and Montessori involves like the kids learn to sweep the classrooms together Mm -hmm. and they learn to do all these chores. 
we hung some pictures and we're redecorating a couple of bedrooms mm-hmm. and things. And it's like, kids, I'm going to show you how to hang a grid gallery on right. the wall. So it's, right. it's, it's uh, I, and that's an opportunity that would not have happened without the pandemic. Uh, these are d- useful domestic life skills. Right. And it makes me think when you're saying that, it was something I hadn't really thought of until you just said that. But with this pass-fail thing, it is also an opportunity for your kids to discover a love of learning without that pressure of being assessed and graded in numbers. You know, I think that one of the things that all the, the pressure on grades and getting a good grade in your GPA, it absolutely squashes what it's like to read a book for enjoyment, what it's like to investigate a topic and really have fun. The pass-fail is taking the pressure off, which rightfully we need to do right now because of the circumstances. This is an opportunity because it's like we're always thinking of how is the pandemic creating opportunity? Well, it's creating opportunity for us to make space for this type of learning that wouldn't Mm -hmm. fit in a really scheduled uh, academic and activity calendar that we were all sustaining. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, what, and, and again, we, we talk like you're, you're, you're hanging pictures. That's a lot of math. That's a lot of, you know, saying, okay, so we're going to measure down this and we're going to do this. And what's the distance cooking, all sorts of things, but really just saying, I, I, th- I love that. I love that idea of saying to a, a child, what would you like to learn about? What's something that you've been really curious about? And I think we, we can look for those opportunities do you think that in you, when you are observing the families that you see, do you think that parents have a very hard time with the self-awareness who are hovering too closely too often? Is, is that a challenge where they'll mm-hmm. say, really, I'm, I'm hovering? Or do you feel like they're like, no, I know I hover? I would say it's split. I need you to pay attention to this they will say, oh, I know everybody tells me that, or, oh God, I've heard that, uh, you're, you know, I've heard that 82 times. And then we, we talk about how it is that they can follow through or what's getting in the way of them following through, even though they've been told it 82 times. And there are some people who come in and say like, I don't know where this comes from. And she's so stressed about this, or she, she's so worried that she's not going to get it done and it doesn't come from us. And so then I start talking to the family and then 18 minutes into the session, the mom or the dad sort of sheepishly says like, okay, um, I think it does come from us actually, now that you're saying it that way. So, (laughs) so, so some people, some people know it and some people don't. And then of course there's the third category, which is no matter how much I say, stop hovering, they say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they keep doing it. And you know, I, you know, you can't bat a thousand. Yeah. But I think it's kind of split between people. Like they know they hover. Oh, it's so hard. I have one, one mom who um, brought her daughter to me for a long, a long time. And she, I see her commenting on Facebook a lot. And she always will say like, I'm still trying. I'm, I'm remembering your words. It's still hard. You know what? I always write back. I know. Keep at it. So it's sort of both, I think. You know, when you're listening to a song on the radio and you just have this feeling that the song was written about you or that it was someone that you love trying to say something to you, well, now imagine the power to gift that same incredible feeling to someone you love with an original song that actually is about them and about your relationship and that Songfinch writes just for you. Songfinch lets you create an original radio quality song inspired by your own life and the people that you love. It's completely unique, it's personal, and it lasts forever. 
I had the pleasure of creating a family song with Songfinch about our summer celebrations that we have every year. I knew it was going to make everybody cry, and it certainly did. I got to be honest, I was even crying, giving all of the information and helping personalize my song with the writer that I chose. He absolutely delivered a beautiful acoustic song that captured exactly what I was looking for, and it was so fun to share with the family. So whether your song is for Father's Day, an upcoming graduation, a wedding or an anniversary, or even just a gift to show your loved one how much you care, start your song now to lock in one of Songfinch's top artists. Don't waste another dollar on more stuff. It only takes four to seven days, but that song will last forever. For a limited time, Songfinch is letting our listeners upload their song to Spotify for free so you and the lucky person or people can listen to it anywhere, anytime. So go to songfinch.com slash fluster and start your song. After you purchase, you'll be prompted to add Spotify streaming for your original song for free, a $50 value. Again, the URL is songfinch.com slash Fluster. Don't forget to share your song with us too in our Facebook group, songfinch.com slash fluster. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy the Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of the Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. You know, it's funny. I was thinking of this litmus test of Mm -hmm. where do you hover Mm-hmm. And I think that it's like, if you ever ask yourself or think to yourself, but if I didn't intervene blank, mm-hmm. right? Like, isn't that the yeah. the, the crux of it? Uh, but if I didn't tell them to go to their uh, Zoom class, if I didn't tell them to do this, but if I didn't intervene and do this, someone would get hurt, someone wouldn't mm-hmm. do their work, or someone might not, they might not live up to their potential, Right. Yeah. Just and and that's that sort of brings brings back to the place of that we hover out of fear, and I think it brings up sort of what we also know is sort of emotionally helicoptering, is that a lot of it is you know they might not live up to their potential or they might not get the good grade or they might not do this or they might not do that, but also what what drives a lot of this is that you step in because you don't want your kids to feel badly and that we have a hard time tolerating their distress also. So a lot, you know, a lot of what parents step in, they they step in because they want everything to go smoothly or they want their kids to live up their potential or they don't want to be judged by other parents and all that. But a lot of it also has to do, and this is particularly true with parents that would would define themselves as, as worried parents, is that they just don't want their kids to feel bad. 
They, they are not able to sit with the uncertainty of not knowing how it's going to play out with their kids and the disappointment, the loss, the worry. And right now, of course, we are feeling all those big feelings. So it, it is sort of we're, we're asking people to look at their hovering and their helicoptering in a time when it is really hard to look at your hovering and helicoptering. And it's really hard to let things go because we've got small spaces and big feelings. And that is a really tricky combination. You know, that's the, you talk about this a lot. If people haven't watched your Mr. Rogers uh, talk that you have on your website, I love when you describe this elimination culture, but then you, you talk about the story of uh, not getting on the junior varsity basketball team mm-hmm. or varsity basketball mm-hmm. team mm-hmm. Um, in that talk. And I think that, I think that that example is so um evident of when we deny our kids the chance to feel bad feelings, Mm -hmm. we're really denying them a normal growth process that's really critical for their emotional development. What is so essential about that, the point that you're bringing up, is the way that kids learn that they can get through things in life is to experiencing them and, and then recovering from them. And so this this it, it, there is a term called parental experiential avoidance, which and that refers to stepping in and working to eliminate distress. And so how does a kid know that they can manage getting their heart broken or getting cut from the varsity basketball team or m- forgetting to go to a Zoom meeting and having to have an uncomfortable conversation with their teacher? The only way they know that they can bounce back from those things, the only way that they know that they can be okay if they screw up or if their feelings get hurt is by allowing it to happen and then loving and supporting them through it. So I think when I look at the development Um, sort of the development of kids, the thing that is so critical to me is to allow them to feel those feelings. And oftentimes we have to allow them to have the experiences which create the feelings so that then they can know that they can be okay. That, that, I mean, I remember this, this mom saying to me once, well, I have, my daughter is so sensitive and she really wants a I think it was a hamster or a guinea pig. And she said, I just don't want to get her a hamster or a guinea pig because I know they don't live that long. And I just don't think that she can tolerate having her hamster or her whatever it was, her, her hamster die. And to me, that was the, the reason that she should get her a hamster right. so that she could go through that loss and be okay and have that experience. Because I think, I think every parent has one area that they're going to, hover more and care about more. It's mm-hmm. going to align with values, et cetera. You know, right. I mean, I know, I know even, I know you, I know where yours are, you know, because mm-hmm. we're family. And I know, so, so yeah. like our, we care about certain things and, and how is this pandemic and this extra stress making that play out? And what are we, what are we needing to pull back and reset? And, and I think that's the, the whole challenge of this is that it both is going to expose the cracks and also allow for an amplification of our strengths and it, it it's work. And, and that's what, again, when I saw at the beginning when everybody was, it was sort of, sort of saying, you know, just get through and, and don't have any expectations. We're done with that part of this. We have to focus on amplifying strengths. We have to look for the opportunities that we have as parents to amplify the strengths. Let me just, there was another reader question I'd love to share with everybody because it was so uh, relevant. 
this one uh, came from someone who says, uh, my daughter often says I'm nervous, which then leads me down a road of trying to help her feel better. I'm wondering if it has the opposite effect, though, making her think it's bad to be nervous and she's 11. What would you say to a child who says I'm nervous then? I would say, of course you are. I would say, I would say you have, you have every, re- if, if there's a reason, I would say that's an understandable way to feel. Yeah, of course, of course you're nervous. This is, you know, this is fill in the blank. This is a, this is an uncertain time or you have to do something that you've never done before. It's that stepping in to try and get rid of the emotion and to try and, and this is where sometimes parents come off as controlling because they're trying to step in to change the event or, or get ahead of the experience so that their child doesn't have any of the emotion. So instead of saying, well, of course you're going to be nervous, you say, well, let me call ahead and make sure that blah, blah, blah. You know, the, the story I tell all the time when I'm presenting is there was a mom whose daughter was afraid of dogs. And so she would email all the parents on her daughter's soccer team and say, please don't bring a dog to soccer, your dogs to soccer practice, or else Lydia won't get out of the car, trying to get ahead of it so that her daughter doesn't feel it. So instead of instead of trying to talk them out of being worried, instead of trying to help her feel better, which which generally means trying to get rid of the trigger to try and get rid of the situation, you say, well, of course, you're going to feel nervous. How can we move forward and feel nervous at the same time? It's really okay for you to feel nervous about this. That's the permission that we want to give for kids to have experiences and have feelings at the same time. Yeah. You know, it's sort of like if you're if you're grieving and you say you say, oh, I'm so sad that this happened. And somebody comes in with, yeah, but right. Well, but at least right. No, 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 not at least. Right. This is how I'm feeling. And of course, I should be feeling this way. I say to parents all the time, you should say to your kid, it would be weird if you weren't feeling that way. Right. Think of how many moms have heard. I had a terrible birth. Oh, but at least you have a healthy baby. And there's that both again, that you can have those feelings and, and still, you can still be grateful that you have a healthy, healthy baby, of course, and still have that experience of it being so hard and, and having your feelings about it. So again, getting the, the, the emotional hovering is trying to get rid of the experience sometimes ahead of time, right? I'm not going to buy her the guinea pig, or I'm going to call everybody ahead of time, or I'm going to make sure the teacher knows so that the child doesn't experience those difficult feelings, the more you do that, 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 that actually, that pattern of behavior is a very strong predict- predictor of kids developing anxiety disorders, just so you know. So, right. That's when you use the phrase, like the anxiety becomes the cult leader of the home. Right. The avoidance and the elimination. Yep. And it just tells kids, you give the message, not on purpose to the child, but you give the message that they're not capable of handling things. So if we're thinking about what to do as we move forward, let me just give you a little cheat sheet and some language and some words. You know, one thing that you can do in your family is that right now, take a little inventory of what you're doing for your kids, probably automatically. And you can do this when you're not in a pandemic too, but certainly do it now. Pick three things that you are doing automatically for your kids that they can probably do on their own, maybe with a little instruction and maybe they can do it on their own now. Stop doing those three things. 
I want you to pay attention to any fear-based language that you're using because when we helicopter and when we want kids to stop doing things, we often throw in that catastrophic scenario to scare them out of doing it. So pay attention to that and think about how you can increase their independence in all sorts of different ways. Hang back more than you want to. Not completely. It's not an all or nothing type thing, but hang back, observe, let them get a little messy in all sorts of different ways. The message you want to give your child, the message you want them to hear from you is you are competent. Doesn't mean you're perfect, but you're competent and that they will learn things by doing. I want your kids to know that you can handle distress, that they can handle distress, and that life is messy in all sorts of ways. All right. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Robin, it's nice to see you virtually. It's the only time we're seeing each other. So what's our next topic going to be? Our next topic, we're going to talk about sleep, which is something that we can talk about that. Our sleep as adults, sleep of our kids. So there's all different ramifications of sleep during this time and in general. So that's a that's a hot topic. So go ahead and join the Facebook group so you can ask questions that we may use during a future episode. Please, please share this with any parenting group or school list that you have so we can keep offering this virtual support to as many parents as possible right now. Remember, (laughs) it's about connection, not perfection. It's so important that we continue to reach out and support each other through this. Parenting is hard under the best of circumstances and is certainly tricky now. So we'll see you soon. I'll see you soon, Robin. Thanks, Lynn. Bye-bye. Bye. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.